Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Therapy Chat Podcast, episode 349. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. This week's episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now, for all you prescribers out there... Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Use coupon code CHAT or click the link in the show notes to get two free months at therapynotes.com. This episode is sponsored by the Receptionist for iPad. It's the highest rated digital check-in software for therapy offices and behavioral health clinics used by thousands of practitioners across the country. Sign up for a 14-day free trial of The Receptionist for iPad by going to thereceptionist.com slash therapy chat. And when you do, you'll also receive a $25 Amazon gift card. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan. A couple weeks ago, if you've been listening, you heard me hinting that I had a very special opportunity to interview someone that I was so excited and nervous about that I didn't even want to say it in case something happened to cause it not to happen. But it happened. And today you're going to hear it. And I hope you're going to love it as much as I did. I'm so excited to tell you about this week's episode. My guest today is Dr. Janina Fisher. Janina Fisher, PhD, is a licensed clinical psychologist and a former instructor at Harvard Medical School. An international expert on the treatment of trauma, she's an advisory board member of the Trauma Research Foundation 
and the author of Healing the Fragmented Selves of Trauma Survivors, Overcoming Self-Alienation, which came out in 2017. You've heard me recommend it many times. And her more recent workbook, Transforming the Living Legacy of Trauma, a workbook for survivors and therapists. And the accompanying flip chart, the Living Legacy Instructional Flip Chart, which came out in 2022. And then there's, of course, her classic flip chart called Psychoeducational Aids for Working with Psychological Trauma, which most trauma therapists I know have one of those in their office that they use all the time in their sessions. I recommend it all the time. Anyway, Dr. Janina Fisher is someone I have admired for years, and she is someone whose trainings I recommend whenever anyone asks me how can they get trained in working with complex trauma from a bottom-up and non-pathologizing approach. And she's going to tell us about her training method, which is now called TIST, Trauma-Informed Stabilization Treatment. And in the show notes, we have a special offer for Therapy Chat listeners too, to attend her training. Something that we really haven't talked about as a main topic of Therapy Chat interviews is borderline personality disorder. I know that I've mentioned it a few times and how I really don't agree with or even believe in that diagnosis. But today we're going to talk about how Janina Fisher views the borderline personality disorder diagnosis. And so today in my interview with Janina Fisher, we talk about how betrayal and abandonment, traumatic loss and attachment wounds, even ancestral trauma can lead to these symptoms that are often labeled as borderline personality disorder and how TIST can help people with these symptoms heal. So whether you are a therapist or not, I think that you will find this episode very informative, possibly eye-opening, and hopeful. So I hope you'll listen and share it with anybody that you know who might need to hear this message. And if you're a therapist, please consider signing up for her training. A few weeks after this episode comes out, there will be another training starting up. And as I said, I have a link in the show notes for you to get all the details about that. So I know that you will love hearing from Janina Fisher as much as I did. Let's just go ahead and jump right in. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan. And today I am overwhelmed with joy at the honor of having a very special guest. Dr. Janina Fisher is my guest today. Janina, thank you so much for being my guest on Therapy Chat. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Right. We, we're on the same, we're on the same mission. So it's good to be here. Oh, thank you so much. I feel that way too. And I'm just, you know, my audience knows I've been recommending your books and your flip charts and your trainings and your webinars and anything you're doing for as long as I've had this podcast. So many of them already know who you are, but before we really dive into our interview, will you just tell our audience, for those who aren't familiar, a little more about who you are and what you do? Well, I'm a psychologist, retiring from practice after 41 years, but my, my work for probably the last 20 years 
has been training therapists on how to work with trauma as the field actually learns more and more about the effects of trauma and how we can resolve it. I I began, sure, really by luck in the trauma field in 1989, and uh, and the field was just beginning. But it just it it made so much sense to me. I mean, this that was a Freudian error, and it just made so much sense to me that infantile sexual fantasies did not account for why my clients were struggling. And it made so much more sense that they had suffered real overwhelming events. And uh, and so I was lucky enough to do a postdoctoral fellowship with Judith Herman and then to spend, wow, I've, over 10 years at Bessel van der Kolk's Trauma Center as a supervisor. And that was the period during which we started to get all this neuroscience research about trauma and the brain, and it totally transformed how we thought about trauma and how we work with it. Except that most therapists, even to this day, get trained in in the model that we knew in the 80s and 90s, which is if you talk about it, it will resolve. And and so all the things that we've learned since then have not reached the the awareness of most therapists, which is terrible because therapists are out there working their hardest, doing their best, trying to help often very, very challenging clients without all the tools that the field has developed over the years. So oh that's gosh, I couldn't my, agree with you more about mission. that one. <laughs> so that's kind of my mission. That's what I meant by, you know, you and I are on the same path because my mission has to bring the fruits of what we've learned through the science into practical strategies for working with clients in session. Yes. And as you said, I mean, it's, I still don't, it's almost unbelievable, but I know there are reasons that this knowledge isn't getting out there more, but it's just like, I'm glad that more and more people are becoming aware of the reality of the impact of trauma, particularly in childhood, you know, where it starts most often for most of us. Right, right. Absolutely. And of course, we're talking to your audience, which is an audience that is already on board with these ideas and and wants to learn more. Yeah. So one of the reasons why I admire you so much is because everything I've ever heard you say, every talk or training or everything I've read, anything I've seen that you've written is always so compassionate and really acknowledges, you know, people's humanity and why, how trauma impacts us, that it's not like a defect or it's not you're broken or damaged. It's just a reaction to something that happened to you and it can heal. And, you know, your, your message is so depathologizing. And that's why I feel like it's so important for therapists to learn this because some of the ways that complex trauma can show up with clients, with anyone, is someone who needs help. It, it can be in behaviors that, you know, without training, the professional interacting with them just doesn't understand. Right. Or, or we've been taught to pathologize those behaviors and to label them borderline. 
exactly. Which is such a shame. It's just, it's, it's such a shame. I agree. And so one of, one of the things I'd like to just give a little background on something that I heard from you this summer when you were at the Trauma Research Foundation conference and you were talking about working in state hospitals with some patients there who had been, I guess, like chronically readmitted for mental health treatment. And because the you know, CBT medical model approaches weren't showing effectiveness in these short stays. The the state brought you in to come up with some different ways of working with these clients. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. And, you know, actually, it was even worse because the hospitals who hired me, one in Massachusetts, one in Connecticut, were state hospitals where, where, where people go when short stays aren't working, when their self-harm and suicidality is unremitting. They end up in the state hospitals or they run out of insurance coverage or the, the hospital, the short stay hospitals refuse to admit them anymore. And so I was asked, and anyone who has had any any kind of relationship with the Department of Mental Health in your state knows that if the state is willing to pay money to hire a consultant, it's really bad. <laughs> it means they're losing a lot of money somewhere, right? Exactly, exactly. So I was hired to come up with a treatment model for clients who were diagnosed borderline, who were chronically suicidal and usually and or self-harming and who hadn't responded to any other form of treatment. And someone had noticed many of these patients had been hospitalized for two, three, four, five years. And Nobody had noticed until until recently that they had histories of trauma. So they'd been in the in the mental health treatment world for many years without anybody making a connection between their trauma histories and their I suicide. guarantee I'm sorry for interrupting. I yeah. guarantee their psychosocials said history of abuse in childhood, you know, all these horrible things that have happened to them. And so not seeing that they had trauma. Right. right. Because even though we have 30 years of research showing that a huge percentage of clients diagnosed borderline have histories of trauma, as high as 85%, of which is a statistic unheard of. Mm -hmm. and, and so nobody ever seems to remember that research. It doesn't <laughs> happen. And then another research study is undertaken and it gets the same results. And still, nobody trains therapists. Oh, borderline personality disorder is actually not a personality disorder. It's a trauma-related disorder. So, so... Very, very frustrating. But it was a unique opportunity because we had a sort of captive audience. The, the clients weren't going anywhere. And we had these hospital systems willing to recruit staff members who wanted to try something different. And so I developed this this treatment called trauma-informed stabilization treatment, we, which we, we called it that because in the state of Connecticut, where I did my second sort of uh, pilot of this method, 
we realized that the that the bureaucracy didn't like the word didn't like the word dissociation didn't like the word part it was okay with trauma but trauma informed was better than trauma alone so we created a name for it based on what would appeal to the the administrators and they liked trauma informed stabilization treatment because that sounded stabilizing <laughs> that made them feel better they were like okay <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. And um and it was interesting. The clients didn't care what we called it. What they liked was that they were for the first time being seen as people who had suffered rather than as people who were behaving badly. And many of the they were they were very cute. I remember this one woman said, I'm not borderline anymore. I'm a trauma patient. <laughs> and she was like really proud of herself because she had gotten out of that terrible category of borderline. And now she was a trauma patient and she could hold her head up a little bit. That's so true, though. I mean, because I find it, again, I just keep using the word unbelievable, but I find it unbelievable that we therapists can say, okay, well, I'm going to explain to you very compassionately what you have is borderline personality disorder. And this means that you're manipulative and you are self-destructive and, you know, you, whatever other negative things. seeking that's oh, attention seeking for sure. Yeah. You just want attention. And then people are like, I'm supposed to feel better to hear this diagnosis. It's supposed to make me feel like now I understand myself, but, but it's saying that it's kind of like all these descriptions of myself that are viewed very negatively by anyone. Right. I know I have a wonderful uh, recording of an interview with a young woman who had made many suicide attempts, had been in and out of hospitals. And she says, she says to me, you know, when I would go to the hospital and the doctors would tell me that I was manipulative and attention seeking, it just wanted, made me want to kill myself more. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? Yeah. Which does not shock us. Exactly. Yeah. It wouldn't feel that way. Right. So this, the theoretical idea that I went into these hospitals with was the idea that that self-destructive behavior in trauma survivors is a reflection of traumatic responses and a fragmented self which has become at war against itself. Obviously, these clients are alive because part of them wants to live. And at the same time, they have a relentlessly suicidal part that keeps leading them towards self-destruction. And my theory was that the self-destructive drive was actually a fight response it was a trauma-related survival response that got triggered in various contexts, most of which, ironically, are usually relational. And so, so again, this was a hospital desperate enough to, <laughs> to try anything. And I, I had a strategy, which I've used in many hospitals. I just asked the staff, are, how many of you are willing to try something different, even if you have some skepticism about it. And some some staff, it was always interesting to see, many staff 
were determined to just keep on doing what they'd always done. But always 30 or 40 or 50 percent of the staff would raise their hands and say, I'm tired of not being able to help these clients and I'm willing to try anything. And so, so the treatment that I created was a treatment in which we looked, we helped the client notice the self-destructive impulses as parts so that using the structural dissociation model developed and widely accepted in Europe, just not well-known or accepted here. And, and to my shock and delight, the clients really got it. So I would, I would teach them this model, which basically says, in the context of trauma, we all fragment. We split so that the left brain part of our personalities keep on keeping on because that's part of what happens for every trauma survivor, right? They pick themselves up. If they're kids, they go to school, they do their homework, they clean their rooms, they manage very, very difficult parents. Adults get up, go to work, take the car in for service, take care of the kids. So there's a side that of everyone that keeps on keeping on. And, and then there's a side which we see in the neuroscience research on trauma. The right brain side of the personality remains poised on guard for the next and the next and the next traumatic event. We also know from the brain science research that traumatic events are recalled more frequently in feeling memories, body memories, tactile memories, olfactory memories, um, visual memories, rather than as a clear, coherent narrative. So my assumption was that the right brain part of the personality held the feeling memories of the trauma, but also the survival responses. And so, which are fight, flight, freeze, like a deer in the headlights, submit and cry for help. And, and that it wasn't hard to identify the parts because we only have five survival defenses. So any behavior has to reflect one of those or a combination like fight and flight, which, you know, which you see when people explode in anger and then walk out. Right. Right. Or attach, cry for help and submit can go together where the submitting is in the service of maintaining the relationship at all costs. So it was not hard for these clients to start to see the parts. It just, I mean, I would spend 15 minutes with my psychoeducational flip chart, explain hmm. the model to these clients who had never met me before in their lives. I just walked into a hospital interview room and said hello and then showed them my flip chart. And it was amazing how how quickly and easily they saw themselves in this model. It's just, it's been overwhelming. In fact, since the publication of my book, Healing the Fragmented Selves of Trauma Survivors, oh, hi, <laughs> <laughs> holding it up. Thank you, Laura. Um, I get emails every week, sometimes several in a day, 
from trauma survivors all over the world saying, I just read your book and I want to thank you because it taught me how to understand myself. I've never understood why I couldn't get help, why I frustrated my therapist, why I drove my loved ones crazy. I just, all I could think was that I was a mentally ill person. And then I read your book and I understood myself. It's just, it's so, so gratifying to know that people can depathologize themselves. To, to, Absolutely. To you said it's like not only therapists who can depathologize clients, but clients can depathologize themselves if they have the information. Running a group private practice has been a challenging and rewarding experience. And one thing that has made it so much easier is Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. If you're coming from another EHR, like I did, Therapy Notes makes the transition incredibly easy, importing your demographic data free of charge so you can get going right away. My team has found Therapy Notes very easy to learn. It's intuitive. The customer support is second to none. And that's one of the things that has kept me a Therapy Notes customer for several years now. Anytime I've needed to contact Therapy Notes for help with an issue I couldn't figure out on my own, I've been able to get through to someone and resolve the issue within 15 minutes, 99% of the time. Find out what more than 100,000 mental health professionals already know. Try Therapy Notes for two months absolutely free. Just click on the link in the show notes or enter the promo code chat at therapynotes.com. Therapist, has this ever happened to you? You're sitting with a client in the thick of a therapy session, fully focused on the important work that's happening between you and the client. Suddenly, 30 minutes into the session, from down the hall, you hear the door to your office suite open. You and your current client were the only people in the suite, but now someone has come in. You're distracted from your current client as your anxiety shoots through the roof. Is it your new client who's scheduled to meet with you in 30 minutes, but your current session has 20 more minutes to go and you don't want to interrupt this client's process to go check on who's there? Are they wandering through the suite looking for a receptionist? Is it a delivery person here to drop off a package that needs a signature? Are they about to come knocking on the therapy room door? Is it your neighbor from across the hall dropping off a piece of your mail that was left at their address? You hear the door close. Did they leave? This has happened to me so many times over the years. As I anxiously anticipated this session with the new client, I would worry they were feeling anxious or abandoned because they weren't greeted when they got to the office. Now you don't have to worry, and your clients can relax too, knowing that you have a discreet, stress-free way for them to check in when they arrive for their appointment. The receptionist for iPad is a simple, inexpensive way to allow your clients to discreetly check in, to notify providers of a patient's arrival, and to ensure your front lobby is stress-free. The software sends an immediate notification to the therapist when a client checks in and can even ask if any patient information has changed since their last visit. Sign up for a 14-day free trial of The Receptionist for iPad by going to thereceptionist.com slash therapy chat. And when you do, you'll also receive a $25 Amazon gift card. That's so true. And you know, when we talk about structural dissociation, when I talk about that with therapists that I work with often, it sounds complex and, you know, when you show it and you have a diagram in your book as well as your flip chart, it makes it more concrete. But every time I've ever used that with a client, showing it to them, they get it. They just get it immediately, just like you were saying. So we have this idea that someone who's been in a state mental hospital for two to five years, seen as 
you know, almost, you know, the state is like, well, let's try anything, you know, <laughs> last resort, let's get an expert in here. Hey, <laughs> but that that would be too complicated, too complex for, for a client like that to understand or a patient. And clearly people know themselves. They just need the information. And also that was something Judith Herman taught me because she believed that it was very important that victims get educated so that they were not coming for help with the therapist in this lofty position above them, um, knowing about trauma while the client had no self-esteem, no sense of having any strengths and didn't understand what had happened. So she taught us to educate clients about trauma just as a natural part of therapy. And, and of course, as the years went on, we had more and more information to share, which made it even more valuable. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, I love her perspective too. The dignity of each person just really comes through in her writing and her way of being. Um, right. She's at the TRF also. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. She was at the conference too. Yeah, yeah. So what, what I've really appreciated about this model is that it's also, it's also an attachment model because I had this epiphany. Oh, goodness. I can't even remember how many years ago, over 10 years. And it was what led me to write the Fragmented Selves book. I had this epiphany thinking about a question that had been posed by a supervisee. She she asked, "What is healing? Like, what are what are what's? How do we know when somebody's healed?" And I thought, "Oh my gosh, we talk about we talk about healing, but have we ever defined it?" And so I began to think, right? What what do we mean when we talk about trauma healing? And I thought, well, it's, it's definitely not what people feel after they've processed their memories. Even with EMDR, people feel relieved. They feel exhausted. They feel like they made it through something, but they don't feel healed. Mm -hmm. And so I began to think, okay, what's the moment that people feel healed? And then it just came to me. It's when it's the moment that they deeply accept themselves. They they you know they they forgive themselves. They for the first time feel warmly and lovingly toward themselves. We could call it self-compassion, but it's that moment that they go from fear and self-attack to acceptance and compassion. And and then I began to think, okay, how do we help people get there? And and it and then it made sense to me. It's easier to get there if we try to attach to our parts because our whole selves are complicated. Everybody has qualities in themselves they don't like, as well as other qualities. <laughs> so so it can be hard to accept one's own self 100% unconditionally. But it's easy to accept and welcome and and be, be warmly disposed toward a young 
child part or an angry teenager. And so that that was really the the other component, not only helping people to see, oh, it's not me that wants to die. It's this part of me that wants to save me by killing me. And then for them to take this second step, which which is to say, can I make a relationship with this part that wants to kill me? Can I make can I make a relationship with the child whose sadness is overwhelming? And how how can I welcome all of these parts to the table? Because if I don't welcome them to the table, they're going to be in a struggle and conflict. They're going to be running around under the table, making it jostle all around and knocking the leg out. Right. Absolutely. That's a great way to put it. I love it. I'm just seeing little parts running around. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. I love it. So that's really the premise of of trauma-informed stabilization treatment called TIST because every trauma treatment has to have initials. Yeah. Without an acronym, does it even exist? (laughs) I know. And we've just had our first um, certification training in the approach. We've graduated 100 certified therapists, which is really exciting. And and already, I, I know I get a lot of requests for, do you know someone in this state or this country that can work the way you describe in your book? And my my list, my directory now gives me those resources to offer to clients, which is fantastic. That is so beautiful. That's it. You're spreading it. Those 100 therapists, they work with thousands of people. More people get trained. That's that's the movement. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Because everyone that we reach or teach has a has an impact on hundreds of people. And, yeah. and it's also so nice for trauma survivors to feel a whole community behind them. Mm-hmm. Because if there's a community of therapists, as there is for the, the podcast, that means there's a community that's on their side mm-hmm. that thinks that what they've been through is significant, that they're needs are legitimate. Yeah, that's important. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And in these state hospitals, I didn't deliver the treatment. I was the consultant. I would meet with the clients for a half hour a month, and I would train the staff to work with them. But what the this the factor we hadn't even built into the model was that my presence mm-hmm. as a member of the team had enormous power for these clients. It was like, wow, this person that we think is important thinks that we're important enough to work with our team and to and to support our healing. And so it was great. Sometimes, sometimes the clients would ask their therapists. Could you ask Dr. Fisher, you know, <laughs> such and such? <laughs> Could you ask Dr. Fisher why I hear voices? <laughs> and, 
And of course, just the fact that the therapist could ask me and then, you know, the therapist could have answered that question a million times, but it felt there were certain questions that they needed. They needed somebody they perceived as having a smarter brain to answer. Well, and you're like an attachment object there already. Like they're saying, this person cares about me. So their role here is a crucial piece. Right, right. Yes. Yeah, that's great. I love it. I kind of the matriarch of the family. <laughs> that's Have all. you heard that? Have you heard that expression? I think that the millennial generation and Generation Z are brilliant at coming up with little catchphrases to describe things. And one thing that I've been hearing is, your therapist's therapist is your grand therapist. So you could be the grand therapist for the therapists that were in the hospital. I love it. Oh my God. If I live long enough, I'll be the great grand therapist. <laughs> Please do. Oh, that's great. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I want to ask you something. I think it's almost like the un. I guess it's like the elephant in the room question in a way, because I think it's common for therapists to understand that people have trauma histories and they understand that trauma is real. They know it's a thing and they may have some training in how to work with trauma, but they don't always recognize their clients as having, you know, they'll say, well, I've already ruled out trauma. And it's like, well, how did you rule it out? And they'll say, I asked the client if they had any trauma and they said, no, you know, right, right. Right, which is, I think, one of the the problems with our our sort of narrative memory way of thinking. Like yeah. we we only believe the history the client has told us, and so now obviously we don't want to put words in any client's mouth, but it's so common for people to have been traumatized and not know it. You know, particularly when the trauma is unusual, like medical trauma like accidents, the death of a parent in childhood was traumatic, and many people don't realize that. Being a witness to domestic violence, even if you're not the victim, right? There's so many types of trauma. And things that were pre-verbal memory. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we know from the attachment research that having parents who are frightening or appear frightened has a traumatic effect on children. So one of the things that I've learned to do is I don't ask people, were you traumatized or abused? I ask them, when you were growing up, were either of your parents ever frightening? And that gets a lot more yes responses. And then I ask them, and when you were growing up, did either of your parents appear frightened? Uh, and I can remember, I could, I'm just remembering a client right now who said no when I said, were either of your parents ever frightening? But when I said, were either of your parents ever, ever frightened? She said, oh my gosh, my mother was the most frightened person I've ever known. And then it turned out. And so that I I could say, okay, so when you have a parent who appears frightened and you're a little kid, that's scary. It later turned out what the client had neglected to mention because she minimized it all through her childhood into her adult years was that her mother was also frightening. If the mother wasn't frightened, she was enraged and and scary in her anger. 
So, so, so usually if I ask the frightened and frightening question, I get fewer of those no's. And, you know, we also know now, which isn't really in our client interview repertoire, we also know that about intergenerational trauma, mm-hmm. right? We know that if you're a child of an untreated trauma survivor, you have a statistical likelihood of having PTSD. So so we, we got to remember to ask that question too. Were either of your parents, did either of your parents have frightening parents? Did either of your parents ever experience any losses? I'm, I'm thinking of many, many clients whose parents' parents died when they were very young. So the parent generation had been had had traumatic losses at an early age. And so that trauma kept getting passed down. Yeah. Well, and, you know, when I think about it, when you think about just the context of history, even just in the 20th century, the parent, you know, my parents were in their 80s, were raised during World War II. And they, you know, so they, they grew up during war, even if it wasn't on U.S. soil, it affected everyone who was living at that time, including certainly their parents. Oh, oh absolutely. And then yeah. if their parents were like World War One vets, one of them was, you know, then that's another layer. And not to mention the Depression and the, you know, right. assassination yeah. of presidents and Martin Luther and, King and, and, and all things and all the the immigrants who make up the yeah. you know the bulk of of Americans. You know, I'm thinking about the Irish coming from the potato famine in Ireland. So they were coming from a very traumatic situation to the US. So there's so much more intergenerational trauma. Actually I just had a client just the other day <laughs> who said to me, bless her heart, I was really the one. She said, you know, besides my family, you know, I had another trauma too. I'm Jewish, right? And I, and I really, she's absolutely right. Yeah. Because she carries the multi-generational legacy of the persecution of Jews, which well precedes the Holocaust, goes back thousands of years. Thousands of years. So, so we and and of course we're gonna we have to look forward to the generation of children who've been impacted by COVID. Yes, I just saw a headline that said that. Did you see this? I think it was either in the New York Times or. Washington Post, but it said something like 80 million children in America lost a parent or caregiver during COVID. Wow. Yeah. But that makes sense. If, a, if yeah. 100 million people have died, many of them were caregivers. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, again, we're living this now, but it's, it's impacting us now, but it's impacting developing bodies and brains. Right. That's even so- more significantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we've all been doing the sort of the equivalent of, of hiding in bomb shelters, mm-hmm. trying not to get COVID. Yeah. Yes. So, so when you think about parents being frightened. Yeah. There's a lot of work for us to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wish we could talk more. I wish we could talk for hours, but I know that you are a very busy person and, and certainly we can't do that. But I'm excited the, about the fact that your TIST training is really pretty accessible because it's available online. So that was something I really wanted because 
I realized that I couldn't, I couldn't travel enough to give trainings in New York or the DC metro area or Chicago. I had to have a way to reach people virtually. And, and luckily, I was able to partner with the Academy of Therapy Wisdom to create an online training. So it's very exciting that we're starting our second round of our certification training coming up in a couple of months. Yes, that is so exciting. And um, I'm planning on joining that. Oh, but, great. Uh, <laughs> lovely to have you. Yeah, thank you. I can't wait. But also, I'm excited because, uh, and I'll share a link to this in the show notes, but we have a special gift or something for our listeners that the Academy of Therapy Wisdom has shared. So Oh, how nice. Yeah. That's great. That is great. Wonderful. So Janina, can you tell everyone who's listening where they can find everything you're doing, your books, your flip charts, your trainings, where do they find all that stuff? The best place, thank you for reminding me, um, because I have to update my website, is to go to my website, JaninaFisher.com. Another good way is just to Google, just to Google my name, you know, Janina Fisher, upcoming trainings, and uh, I will try to get my assistant to update the list of trainings on my website. But the TIS training information should be there. And, uh, and uh, you know, information. Um, I, think, I think there's a way on my website to add your name to my mailing list, mm-hmm. um, which I don't abuse, just so everybody knows. I, I actually have a pet peeve about those uh, programs that incessantly email us, apparently every day. It seems like I know Um, sometimes three times a day. (laughs) So I try to be very thoughtful about just mailing a few times a year when there's something that I'm doing or one of my colleagues is doing that I think will interest people. Well, I know that everything you you put out into the world is thoughtful and high quality. So, and I'll be sharing the link to the TIS training that's coming up soonest for people to sign up to. So I'll put that and your website in the show notes. And I just want to say one more time, thank you so much for sharing your a little sliver of your wisdom and knowledge with us today on Therapy Chat. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. It has been such a pleasure, Laura. And thanks to you and your audience. Take good care and keep doing the good work that you all do. Thank you to Therapy Notes for sponsoring this week's episode. I do love Therapy Notes. It's such an asset to my business and makes my job as a practice owner and a therapist much easier. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. Use coupon code CHAT or click the link in the show notes to get two free months at therapynotes.com. This episode is sponsored by The Receptionist for iPad. It's the highest rated digital check-in software for therapy offices and behavioral health clinics used by thousands of practitioners across the country. Sign up for a 14-day free trial of The Receptionist for iPad by going to thereceptionist.com slash therapy chat. And when you do, you'll also receive a $25 Amazon gift card. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.
Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.